0: Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012 because I'm a sex addict. And I'm excited to be sharing with you our final episode about the drama triangle. So I hope you've enjoyed this, um, this series. I've gotten a couple of emails and comments from several of you. I should say not a couple, several comments and emails um, that this has been helpful and I'm so glad because this tool, understanding the drama triangle was definitely a large um, factor or contributing factor to my own mental health and recovery. Uh, just kind of understanding these dynamics, how they work, how I've played them out my entire life, um, how, you know, my childhood and my uh, family of origin issues kind of contributed to that. And then once I kind of under, once I understood all of that being able to then take steps to change the way I interacted with people. So today we're on the final installment. This is part 3 of saying no to the drama, so getting out of the drama triangle. In our first episode, I explained what the drama triangle was. This is the Karpman drama triangle. If you just Google that, tons of information will come up. Um, And it just describes these three roles, right? The three angles of a triangle. It describes the three roles of victim, persecutor, and rescuer. So I'm sure you're kind of familiar with that. I hope that you've been able to reflect on kind of your gateway. What is the the role that pulls you into the drama triangle? I shared with, for me, that a lot of time, most of the time, that's the rescuer role. Uh, The rescuer role gets me pulled into the drama triangle. Not all the time, but most of the time, That's the case. And then once in the drama triangle in episode two, we talked about how we just spin around and we just ping back and forth between all these different roles that are part of the drama. Because if I'm going to sit in one of the chairs, then I have to have the other two chairs occupied. I don't have a triangle if I don't have three chairs occupied. Sometimes those chairs are occupied by people. Sometimes they're occupied by circumstances. Sometimes, I think I shared an example of where it was my higher power was occupying one of the other chairs. So either way, I've got different, I've gotta have different people, different circumstances occupying all three chairs. If I don't have all three occupied, I'm not part of the drama. Or I'm not in the drama. And that's where you want to be, right? You want to be out of the drama. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about how we get out of the drama triangle. So a few quick announcements. Um, Reminder that we have the Dating and Recovery uh, Intensive coming up in June, the end of June. So just about a month away. We still have a few spots available if you're interested in coming. Um, That is a three-day intensive with myself and two CSAT therapists, Jackie Pack and John Taylor. They host the Thanks for Sharing podcast. And we're excited to be offering these new intensives um, as part of a way to help those of you in advanced recovery, really learn the relational piece Of life, (laughs) Because it's not just relational about recovery. It's just relational of life. How do I relate to people in a better way? And that's what the drama triangle also is trying to help us. How do I relate to people in a better way? And so these intensives though, this particular first one about dating and recovery is going to be awesome. We're going to cover the different stages of dating. We're going to cover a dating plan. How do I do that? We're hoping, we're not hoping, we're hoping to make the shift. I said that again. We're hoping to make the shift to help you make the shift of saying... A lot of times when we get into dating again in recovery, we come in from a deficit model. So we want to make the shift of helping you get to the point where you're not saying, oh, this person's interested in me. I should just do that. Or I come in at the one down relationship because what if nothing ever happens again? Or I've done all these horrible things, so I just deserve someone who you know, barely recognizes my existence into the mindset of what do I bring into a relationship? What are my strengths? Coming from an abundance mindset and a strength model and not this deficit model. So, we're excited about that. And I hope if that's something that interests you, that you'll join us. The website where you can get information is one layer deeper.com, O N E L A Y E R D E E P E R.com, one layer com So join us if you'd like. Also, reminder, we have coming up our Own Worth Recovery events in August. We've got one in New York in August on August 18th, one in Atlanta, Georgia on August 25th, and one in in uh, Bellevue, Washington on September 29th. Registration is open for now for those events. You can get on the website and find that information. There are scholarships available if you want to come, but the price seems out too much for you. Then go ahead and email me, and we can talk about having you maybe work at the event or do a few things to lower that cost for you. So I want to make it as accessible for as many women as possible. So make sure you get online. Email me, amy at worthrecovery.com, and Let's try to make that happen for you because we want you to be there. I want you to be there. I love to meet other women in recovery, so I would love to have you there. And last but not least, the Sponsor Academy is starting on June 12th. So you'll want to make sure that you get online if you're interested in that at all. We talked about that in our last episode and kind of detailed what the Sponsor Academy is about. So if that's interesting to you, get online, get registered. We'd love to have you join this first cohort. Um, We're only going to allow 12 participants. I want to make sure that it's a small group so that everyone gets time to share and be heard and get their questions answered and work through things. So 12 people are going to be, um, we're going to have 12 spots available. So make sure you get online and, and get that done as soon as possible. If that's something that you want to participate in. Okay. That was a lot of announcements, right? So let's get back to this whole idea of the drama triangle and how do I get out of the drama triangle? So first, I want to share with you just a quote from Lynn Forrest about the consequences of living in the drama triangle, because I think that a lot of us have lived in this drama triangle for so long, we're just not really sure how to get out. Um, or it's been the normal. It's been the normal for so long. And we recognize or we maybe we see people that, cha- that work differently. Maybe we don't, but maybe we do. And we recognize that there might be something different, but we're just not sure. So I just want to share with you this idea of what are the consequences of living in this drama triangle. So she says, quote, Living on the victim triangle or the drama triangle creates misery and suffering no matter what your primary gateway position may be. The cost is tremendous for all three roles and leads to emotional, mental, and even physical pain. Efforts to avoid pain by blaming or looking for someone else to take care of us often end up generating greater pain in the end. When we try to shield others from the truth, when we try to rescue them, we discount their abilities and this creates more pain as well. Everyone involved in triangular dynamics ends up hurt and angry at some point. No one wins. Close quote. So I like, well, I don't necessarily like this quote, but the idea here, I think she does a really great job of explaining the idea of the pain involved in triangular living. When we typically enter the drama triangle because we're trying to avoid pain, we're trying to just avoid the pain of life. We come in maybe as a victim because we we have felt hurt or we uh, don't want to take responsibility for that pain. Maybe we come in as a persecutor because we can't handle it. We can't handle the pain. And so we want to shift that or blame it on others. Maybe we come in as a rescuer because we want to rescue other people from the pain that we see that they're having. Either way, whatever gateway you get into the triangle, you are trying to avoid the pain. It's like the movie Inside Out, the Disney, uh, the Pixar movie Inside Out. I just saw it for the first time recently, believe it or not. And uh, we always want to live in joy, right? We want to keep sadness in the circle of sadness. Do you remember when she draws that circle around sadness and says, your job is to just keep that, keep all the sadness inside the circle, right? Right. We want to live in joy all the time, and we want to leave sadness inside the circle. However, that is not how life works. I'm sure that you know that by now, yet we still try to avoid it. This delay of pain only creates more pain, and usually the, the additional pain that's created is deeper, wounding pain. It also stifles our growth. It prevents us from learning and growing into mature, functional adults. So we get into this drama triangle. The drama triangle is created because we're trying to avoid pain. And in the end, we end up just creating more of it. Now, at at the end of our last episode, uh, part two on this, I shared with you one quote by John Gottlett. It says, the only way to escape the drama triangle is to function as an adult and not participate in the game. So this was an article that he wrote called Breaking the Drama Triangle. And he talks about the only way to escape is to actually function as an adult. One of the major tenets of functional adulthood is what we call responsible ownership. The ability to take personal responsibility for myself, my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, my beliefs, my behaviors, and lack of behaviors sometimes. So... In order to escape the drama triangle, we have to start with ourselves and we have to start by being responsible. I call it, I like to call it responsible ownership. We have to be responsible and own ourselves. And this includes our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our behaviors or lack of behaviors, right? or lack of action. So again, another quote from Lynn Forrest. She says, Whenever we fail to take responsibility for ourselves, we end up in the triangle. Not even rescuers who pride themselves on being responsible take responsibility for themselves. They take care of everyone else, but have no idea of how to do it for themselves. Not taking responsibility is a key identifying factor in recognizing when we are in the triangle. Persecutors shift responsibility by blaming others for their misery. Victims look for someone else to take responsibility for them. Not one of the three roles takes responsibility for themselves. Close quote. So I love this quote. So I'm going to read it one more time because I think it's important to really understand um, what she's trying to say. Whenever we fail to take responsibility for ourselves, we end up in the triangle. Not even rescuers, who pride themselves on being responsible, take responsibility for themselves. They take care of everyone else, but have no idea of how to do it for themselves. Not taking responsibility is a key identifying factor in recognizing when we are in the triangle. Persecutors shift responsibility by blaming others for their misery. Victims look for someone else to take responsibility for them. Not one of the three roles take responsibility for themselves. So I think that you can hear that the idea, the very first step that we need to take if we want to get out of the drama and stop living in the drama triangle is to take responsibility for ourselves. Okay, so that's the very first step we need to take. And I like to call this, we do, well, hang on, we do this at, at, we can do this, we can do this at several points along the way. Okay, so uh, responsibility is our only way out of the triangle, but we can do this at several points along the way. So the first one I like to call preventative responsibility. And that, you've started that already because you're starting to become aware of the triangle dynamics and your role or your primary gateway into those dynamics. What is the role that you ha- that you play? And so this is a pattern that we need to, that you've repeated in your life and we all need to kind of examine that pattern. So the first idea of responsibility is to become aware of that hook and how I get hooked in and then try to really look at and examine that role and figure out what I need to do to take more responsibility before the drama even starts, before the triangle even starts. So I just want to give you a couple ideas on that. So, and hopefully explain that a little bit better. If you're a victim, right? If that's your gateway into the drama triangle, you're a gateway, that's your gateway in, then you need to really look at those behaviors or things in in your life that you need to take greater responsibility for. So I would say... One of the things that we need to do is to start working on self-validation, right? Not looking to others to validate who we are. Uh, victims do that. I mean, all, all roles do that a lot. Victims particularly, though, look kind of at outsourcing our self-value or self-esteem by what other people say or think. So a victim really needs to work on self-validation, self-worth, and their own personal belief about their capabilities and their capacities, So that's something that really needs to, that victims really need to own. My capabilities, my capacities. And then the second thing I would say that victims can really start working on before you get into the drama is your decision making skills. A lot of times as a victim, we don't want to make a decision (laughs) because we don't want to hurt someone. So we kind of put that out there and say, you do it for me. You do it for me. You make this decision for me. And we a lot of times procrastinate until we're forced into a decision. And then we come out explosive because we're not really sure how to do that in a healthy way. So victims can work on their decision making skills. What process do you go through when you need to make a decision? How do you own your decisions that you've made? What are some of those things that help you whittle whittle down your options and look at decisions? And how can I own those decisions better? So those are things that you can work on as a victim before you even get into the triangle, right? That's the whole point of being responsible at first. Is if I own my role and know my gateway, I can work on those skills. So victim, again, self-validation, self-worth, capability, capacity, and decision-making skills. Those are all things that you can work on as a victim. Okay. Let's say you're a persecutor, right? Maybe that's the role. That's the gateway role that gets you into the drama triangle. So what can you work on as a persecutor? Before you even get in there, what can you work on? So I would again say self-validation. That's something that we all need to work on in the drama triangle. This one might look a little bit different. I think persecutors look, when they're looking at self-validation, it's owning their emotions, owning their pain, owning their shame, owning the things that they've done wrong. And not shifting that to other people, right? Persecutors like to just spit and throw out all sorts of shame. They, they just like to shift and manipulate it back to you. It's not their fault, right? It's all about you. You, 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 you. So persecutors need to own and sit with their own emotions, their own pain, their own shame, and not shift that on someone else. They need to be able to validate their own experience and their own pain, And then another big thing that I think persecutors can work on is shifting, um, is replacing their accusations. Replacing accusations like, you always forget to call me, and replacing that with an I statement. Um, When I didn't hear from you, I felt worried, right? So persecutors tend to really focus on the behaviors of others and not on themselves, And so one of the things that they can start working on even before they get into the drama triangle is to replace these accusation statements, these accusation behavior and vocabulary that they have Replace that with more I statements, which is more ownership of what they are feeling. So that's kind of a concrete example of validation, self-validating, right? Replacing these accusations, not shifting things onto someone else, but replacing them with I statements. So, persecutors can work on self-validation, owning their emotions, their pain, their shame, not shifting that, and replacing their accusational vocabulary with more I statements, more ownership vocabulary. Those are things that persecutors can work on even before you get into the drama triangle. Okay, now what if you're a rescuer, right? We've talked about victims and persecutors. What if you're a rescuer? So if you're a rescuer, again, you need to work on self-validation. That's me talking to myself. (laughs) We need to work on self-validation. And that looks a little different than the other two because it looks uh, more like this idea of defining and owning my personal needs and wants. As a rescuer, I tend to be needless and wantless. That's what rescuers do. And they focus on the needs and wants of everyone around them. And so in order to stay out of the drama triangle, rescuers need to work on self-validation in the form of defining and owning and being responsible for their needs and their wants. That's hard, but it's possible. Definitely possible. Um, And then the other thing that rescuers can work on is learning to wait to be asked before helping. So, before you jump in and try to rescue someone and help someone, you can sit back and wait to learn and learn to wait to be asked. That was something that um, has like dramatically changed my life. And I learned that in the 12 step program. Um, My sponsor used to always tell me, you know, we don't give advice, right? Unsolicited advice. We wait to be asked for our opinions. And I took that and kind of extended it into my own life about this idea of, because I knew I was a rescuer and I knew I jumped in before I needed to. And so I would wait to be asked before I did something. And that's been hard. Just recently, I had an incident recently, um, Oh, I don't want to get distracted, but let me tell you this story real quick. I had an incident recently where this woman emailed me and she said, I might need to ask you for a favor. She didn't, it was a text. Well, okay. This woman texted me and she said, I might need to ask you for a favor. And I didn't respond because I haven't been asked for anything yet. And so maybe a day later I wrote, okay. And then she wrote back, nevermind. You didn't, you didn't do it. And I was like, wait, you didn't ask me to do anything you said you might need to ask me to do a favor and I was willing to do it, but you never actually asked me anything. And later on when we had a discussion and I said, Hey, I, I'm willing to help you out. I just, you never actually asked me to do anything. I just wasn't sure. I was waiting for you to, to ask me to do something. And thankfully she was like, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get get snappy with you. And we had a great discussion about it. I'm not going to jump in and rescue someone or take the bait. That's kind of the bait for me, right? Like, I might need to ask you to do a favor. Okay. Well, ask me if you need me to do something. If not, I'm not going to just pester you until you tell me, right? So rescuers can learn to wait to be asked before helping. So rescuers need to validate themselves by owning their personal needs, wants, and desires. And then also they can learn to just hang back and wait to be asked before they jump in and help. So those are, that's kind of like what I call preventative responsibility, right? These are things that you can work on now before you're even in the drama triangle. And, and I like that idea that I can work on something before I'm there so that I don't have to wait to get in the drama to do something. So work on those things, victims, persecutors, rescuers, you can work on these things and, and really start to move yourself out of the drama before you even get there. Okay. Okay. Now, likely though, that's not going to be like the the perfect fix for you. You're still going to get t- drawn into the drama triangle. I know that happens to me, right? And so sometimes I'm in the drama triangle before I even recognize what's going on, or I can tell things are getting crazy and I'm not really sure and I'm not really sure what's going on. So, what if you're already in the drama triangle, you're in the middle of it and you want to get out, right? What's your way out? I used to have a quote when I was really a lot younger um, on my wall and it said, life is like a roller coaster and sometimes you just want to get off, right? The drama triangle is the same way. It's like a roller coaster and sometimes you just want to get off. How do you do that? So again, the way out, the way out of the drama triangle is always the door of personal responsibility. So... You've got to own what's going on. So for me, I I just take a break. I always need a break. So if I'm in the drama triangle and we're arguing or things are not going well, then I always just take a break. Like if I'm there in the moment, I excuse myself to use the bathroom. Even if I don't have to use it, I just go, right? I'll say something like, hey, I want to continue this conversation, but I need to use the bathroom first and I'll just go to the bathroom, right? And while I'm in the bathroom, I ask myself, What do I need to take responsibility for that I'm not doing? Is it emotion? Is it needs? Is it wants? Is it decisions? What is it that I'm taking, that I need to take responsibility for that I'm not? And I, so I sit there for a moment and just think to myself, like, what is it? Okay. What is it that I need to take responsibility for that I'm not doing? And what am I willing to take responsibility for in that very moment? Because sometimes... It just seems a lot like really foggy to me and I'm not really sure what's going on. And so I just have to, if I don't understand the whole thing, I'll say, okay, right in this moment, what am I willing to take responsibility for? And I ask myself, do I see a way out? Do I see a way out if I do this? So that's kind of my reflective mind pattern when I'm in the bathroom, excusing myself, right? Then when I come back, I try to do something along this line, okay? Um, if I go back, can I take, oh, let's see. Oh, sorry. I read the wrong thing. Okay. So then I want to go back and I want to take responsibility for my way out of the triangle. Okay. Usually for me, that looks something like this. Hey, I'm, I've been acting like a rescuer and that's not who I want to be. Um, and so I need to take a break from this. And, uh, and we can revisit it at a later time or something like that, right? So I'm, I've got a few options here to give you, okay? So if you're a victim, you could say something like, I'm sure acting like a victim, man, that is not who I want to be. I need to take some time and think about this on my own. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. If I need more help, I'll, I'll ask for it. And then you leave the situation, right? So you're taking responsibility for being a victim, right? I'm sure acting like a victim. I like to use those words because I like to point out to people like they might not know what the triangle is. And so it might give me an opportunity to be able to say, oh, this is what I think is going on, right? So when I use that terminology, then I start to teach people around me kind of what's happening in my head. So again, I'm sure acting like a victim. This is not who I want to be. I need to take some time and think about this on my own. And then I always thank them. Thank you for your thoughts. If I need more help, I'll ask for it. And then I leave. I leave the scenario. And if I can't, like, physically leave the scenario, I drastically change the subject. I'll have thought about something in the bathroom to change the subject to. Okay, if you're a persecutor, it might sound something like this. I'm sure acting like a persecutor, that is not who I want to be. I'm sorry I'm making you responsible for me. I need to take some time to figure this out on my own. Can we talk about it tomorrow? And then I'll, like, make a time that maybe we could talk about it tomorrow. And then I leave the scenario, right? So, again, I took responsibility for what was happening. I am acting like a persecutor. And that's not who I want to be. And so I just call that out and point that out. I might not know exactly all the dynamics of what's going on. I might, there might be greater emotion or needs underneath that maybe I haven't identified yet. And that's okay, All I can do in the moment is take responsibility for me and myself and what's going on. So I say things like, I'm acting like a persecutor. That's not who I want to be. I'm sorry, I'm making you responsible for me. I need to take some time to figure this out. Can we talk about it tomorrow? And again, I either leave or I drastically change the subject. Okay, maybe it's a rescuer, right? Maybe you're the rescuer. And so you'll say, wow, I'm sure acting like a rescuer. I know you can figure this out on your own. If you need help, I'm here. And I will not intervene unless you ask me for it. You're going to do great. And then I leave. Right? Or I drastically change the subject. So either way, these three statements allow me to stop the drama and get out. I'm taking responsibility for how I'm acting in the moment. I'm acting like a victim. I'm acting like a persecutor. I'm acting like a rescuer. And I I apologize for that behavior. Right? And then... I get out of the drama triangle. I take that as an opportunity to leave and to exit. So if I can't physically exit, then I try to drastically change the subject. Now, once I'm out of the drama triangle, right, I've left, um, I try to give myself some time, you know, to kind of cool down and then to reflect on what's happened again, right? Do some reflection on the situation and the triangle and examine your options. When we take responsibility for our lives, we open up options in our lives. Drama, the drama for me really leaves me um, feeling in, in a fog. I like that analogy, like um, I feel fuzzy or I feel kind of in a fog. And um, I like the idea of fog standing for fear, obligation and guilt. When we experience this fog of fear, obligation, or guilt, we have few, if any, options, right? When I'm doing something as a rescuer because I feel obligated, right? Or if I'm doing something um, as a persecutor and making you feel guilty, right? Or if I'm a victim and I'm feeling fear, any of the roles can feel any of these feelings of fear, obligation, or guilt. And it leaves us feeling foggy fuzzy, foggy, because it's not taking personal responsibility. And so we're not sure. We're blurred all the lines of where that is. And so when we do that and we're feeling fuzzy, we have very few, if any, options. Taking responsibility opens options for us. And once we have that kind of clearer vision and can make better reflections on what happened, then we can, we're in a better position to take responsibility, So I always go back to the responsibility question. What do I need to take personal responsibility for? Now, the key here is you. You can only take responsibility for things that you said that you did or that you didn't do. You are only responsible for you. Many times we try to take responsibility for others' actions or others' um, mistakes or others' feelings or emotions, right? And a lot of times in our society, I feel like we're set up to do that. We're trained, we're conditioned to do that. Um, A lot of times as women, we grow up watching princess movies and we're conditioned to look for a rescuer that we can't fix situations on our own, we need to be rescued. And we're conditioned to, to look for that. And so a lot of times we have to really kind of challenge that idea and take personal responsibility for ourselves. So let me give you um, kind of an example of that for me. So um, I was a high school teacher for eight years of my life. I taught high school math and band, uh, music and math. And a common scenario that I'm familiar with is this teenager high school grade um, dilemma, <laughs> drama, I should say. So, it, you know, we're getting, at least in the United States, we're getting to the end of another school year. And I was just talking to one of my friends who she was like, I am just gearing up for the slew of emails I'm going to get after Labor Day weekend. Um, not Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend. So Memorial Day weekend is a holiday and a lot of schools have maybe two or three more weeks of school left. And so what she's talking about, and I'm very familiar with this triangle, is that at the end of the semester is coming and all of a sudden we start to get parents uh, who by all appearances haven't paid any attention to their grades, uh, their students' grades all semester, start calling and email us about their student and they want to know how their student can improve. Now, again, I'm making an assumption, but by all appearances from my standpoint, they haven't made any inquiries about their student's grade. So, like, when I was teaching, grades were available online, so students could students and parents could look and access their grades at any point in time. Um, also, you know, we sent home quarterly report cards so they could check on what their grades were. And multiple times at the end of the semester, three weeks left, I would start to get this slew of emails from parents asking, you know, how to improve their students' grade. Now, if this was like a B student, okay, you know, maybe you haven't paid attention because you knew they were getting good grades, but many times these were FD students who hadn't really done anything all semester, and now they're all of a sudden wanting to be able to pull off a passing grade. So I'm sure before I get that email or that phone call, I am very sure that I, that there have been multiple trips around the drama triangle already between the student and the parent and myself, though I wasn't even aware that I was part of the drama triangle. I'm sure that I was the persecutor at some point in time. Um, and the student, you know, was the victim and telling their parent, like, she's a horrible teacher and she's so mean and she didn't do this and she didn't do that. Right. So I'm sure that, you know, they felt that I was the persecutor. I'm also sure that I was the victim when they ganged up on me and would start talking about how horrible school is or was or any of those things. So I'm sure that that's part of the deal as well. And now I'm the rescuer as they reach out to me and try to find a way to help their students grades. So I used to buy into this drama and I used to give all sorts of extra credit options and I would apologize for the student's grade and I, I, you know, I would make it all my fault. It was all my fault that they weren't passing or getting the grade that they wanted and I would take on that responsibility. But after a while I realized I was taking on way too much responsibility. And so I quit apologizing and instead I started just pointing out all of the options that the student had had and the parent had had All semester long. Um, Here's the school policy on grades. Here's the classroom policy. You know, here's what the, what's been available to your student and they haven't taken advantage of that. Here's what's been available to you as a parent and you haven't taken advantage of that. And I just started pointing out the different options along the way that were not, were ignored. So you might consider that mean. That might feel really mean to you. (laughs) Um and it did to me I felt like I was a total bitch at first like you know I wasn't being considerate I was just being mean and saying you know sorry this is the rule right being super strict And typically this would get a very short reply like thank you or no reply at all But I learned after a while that all I was doing was I wasn't playing the game I wasn't being mean I was just saying like wow I know you, and I would always start with, I know you want your student to be successful and succeed. That's my goal too. Here have been some of the options and things available to your student and to yourself throughout the school year. And then I would always end with, at this point in time, you know, this is what can be done. And I would just, you know, kind of outline a few things that could be done, but not promise anything nor apologize for anything Because we only need to take responsibility for the things we have actually said and done or could have said and done and didn't. Then once we are clear on that, we can circle back with the person in the triangle if we want. (laughs) So again, you've gotten out of the triangle by taking responsibility for your role. And now you get the opportunity to reflect on that and to say, like, what would I do differently? What could I do differently? Um, what do I need to take responsibility for that I'm not doing? Whether that's emotion, whether that's, you know, words, whether that's a behavior, whatever it is, what do I need to take responsibility for? And then if you want to, at that point in time, you can circle back with this person or persons that you were engaged in the drama triangle with. In an ideal world, we would do that. We can't always do that, but in an ideal world, we would. So I like to do it like this, um... Hey, could we circle back to the conversation we had yesterday, right? Or whatever it was, the text messages that we exchanged or, you know, the emails or the phone call or whatever it was. Could we circle back to that? And then I like to start with a statement about myself. I recognize now that I was trying to make you responsible for and then blank, right? So sometimes that's, I recognize now that I was trying to make you responsible for the feelings of fear that I was experiencing. Or I was trying to make you responsible for my emotions. I was trying to make you responsible for this decision because I don't want to make it myself. I was trying to make you responsible for my wants and needs without expressing them to you. Whatever it is, I was trying to make you responsible for this. And then I always start off with, and finish with, and when I need to be responsible for that. Right? So... I was trying to make you responsible for getting my needs met when I need to do that. That's my job. That's not your job. And then I always start with or continue with, um, it was unfair of me and I'm sorry. It was unfair of me to do that and I'm sorry. What I was really trying to do was convey that I cared about you. What I was really trying to do was get my fear and my anxiety um, under control. And I took that out on you. What I was really trying to do, you know, was help you in this scenario. And I realized that it didn't come across that way. And then, depending upon your relationship with this person, you might say, can we try again? Would you be willing to try this conversation again with me? And really try to engage in a different way. Now, if you're a rescuer, uh, that statement about being responsible might look a little different. Instead of saying, like, I recognize now that I was trying to make you responsible for. We might say something like, I recognize now that I was trying to take responsibility for you when you need to do that for yourself. And I'm sorry. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's a student. (laughs) Maybe it's a child of yours. And you're saying, I recognize that I was trying to take responsibility for your grades when that's your job. That's not my job. Or I recognize that I was trying to take responsibility for your decisions. And that's, again, your decision, not my decision. And I'm sorry about that. And so we try to kind of recognize where that responsibility line is and we draw it, right? We say, this is what I should be responsible for. And I overstepped that bound. Or we say, this is what I should be responsible for. And I tried to shift it onto you. We try to draw that responsibility line and figure out where that is for us. And then we try again. Are we willing to try again? Now, I, I want to recognize that that won't always work. Trying again will not always work. Because the people that we're with or the people that we're in relationships with might not be, might not be willing to do that. They might not be willing to engage with you in a more healthy way. And they might not be willing to even try. Okay, so I, I recognize that. So you have to determine if that's safe for you. If you're able to really try to re-engage in a healthy way. And maybe you can tell that the other person's feeling a lot of anxiety by what you said. And maybe now it's not the right time. Or maybe you can just give them an opportunity to express for themselves how they feel about that. About what you said. and Maybe re-engaging isn't the right thing. You'll have to make that determining factor. Make that decision. <laughs> You'll have to just see if that's... Um, Something that you can do and make that determination. That's what I meant to say earlier. Make that determination if re-engaging is a healthy thing for you. I want to give you one example of that um, uh, that I saw the other day uh, on an interview. So you're probably familiar with Kristen Bell. She's an actress, you know, does a lot of funny things. Um, she has a show right now called The Good Place that's hilarious. At least I think it is. So anyway, I saw her on a TV show, I think it was on Harry actually, and she did an interview on Harry and she was talking about her and Dax. Uh, So that's her husband. And they were talking about, she was talking about um, how much like she has grown in that relationship and the different things going on. And she gives this example that early on when they were dating that she, I mean, and I love her because she's just so real and honest about herself. She says, I was a drama queen. And she goes, I didn't know that I didn't know how to fight well. She goes, I thought I totally knew how to fight because we would have an argument and we would fight and I would run out the door and I would slam every door along the way. And I would get in the car and I would screech my tires as I drove around the corner and parked and waited for him to come after me. (laughs) And I just I love how brutally honest she is about that, how that whole thing worked for her. And, and then she said, you know, after doing this a couple times that Dax came to her and said something like, you know, I, I have too much respect for myself and I care about you too much to continue to engage in this way. Like if, if we're going to make this work, you can't just leave the house in the middle of this argument in such a dramatic way. And, and she was totally floored. She's like, uh, What? Like, she's like, I thought I was really good at arguing. And apparently uh, she wasn't. And so they started to set up these rules. So the first one was like, you can't leave the house. You can leave the room if you need to. You can slam the door if you need to, but you can't leave the house. And she talks about how the first time that they got in an argument and she was like headed for the door and the car and she was going to make this big dramatic exit. And she got to the door and she's like, wait, I, I love this man. Like, I care about him. I can't walk out that door if we're going to make this work. And so she had to stay in the house. And then it was eventually stay in the room. And it was eventually like not slam the door. And soon, soon, because he forced her to engage differently, they were able to start to work things out without having to slam doors and run away. I think it's important to recognize that recovery is not for those who want it. No, I said that totally wrong. Recovery is not for those who need it. Recovery is for those who want it. Because if you need it, lots of people need it, but you have to be willing to do the work. Recovery is for those who want it. In this case, Kristen was willing to do the work and Dax kind of helped her to change the way that she argued. And now when she was talking about it, she's like, we never fight like that. She goes, it's a totally different experience and it's so much better. Uh, she thought I, you know, she said, I thought I was making this big dramatic exit and it was awesome. She goes, but I recognize now that I was just parking around the corner waiting for him to come after me uh, when that's not healthy for either of us. Once we start pulling ourselves out of the drama triangle and start engaged differently, others, those around us, are also forced to engage differently. And they might not want to do this. They might end up criticizing you. They might end up jumping down your throat. Um, they just might not be willing to really engage with us differently. I love what Dax told Kristen. I respect myself enough and care about you too much to keep doing this. Love is always the solution on our way out of the drama triangle. I care about you too much to keep engaging with you this way. I've said that several times to people. I care about you too much to keep following this pattern and cycle. We can change those these roles around us and we can have them work for us. So we need to be willing to step out of that drama triangle and we need to be really be willing to express the love and the care and concern that we have for other people. So I hope that has given you a few ideas on how you can get out of the drama triangle. I recognize that we're already kind of a little bit long, but I want to share one more thing with you before we end this episode. One of the things I've loved about, I have loved about recovery is this idea that the skill set that I learned in addiction and those wonderful things that I learned with a slight modification can be used for me in recovery. All these negative coping mechanisms that I learned as a child, the skill set that I have can actually work for me if I just change it, change the dial a few degrees, or if I just refocus the efforts in a different direction. And so as we come out of the drama triangle, I want you to think about how can I take this skill set that I've learned, these things that I know as a victim, as a persecutor, as a as a, um, a rescuer, how can I change that a few degrees and really make it work for me? So... To help you do that, I wanted to share with you one um, alternative to the drama triangle. There are several alternatives out there. People have kind of redefined those roles, or they've just given you ideas and steps on how to get out. There's so many different ones. But the one I want to share with you today is by David Emerald, and he calls it the empowerment dynamic. So what he does is he takes each of these roles um, as persecutor, rescuer, and victim, And changes them just slightly, changes the degrees a few degrees to make them differently, to take your skill set and make it work differently. So in the empowerment dynamic, so this is kind of a triangle, it's built on uh, three new roles. So in the empowerment dynamic, he takes the victim and turns it into the creator, right? The creator role is central to the empowerment dynamic. And it taps into this inner state of passion that we have as a victim. And rather than focus on, you know, what we cannot do, right? We focus on recognizing that I am the creator of my life. They're focused on their desired outcome and they propel the person to take action, right? So rather than sit there and think, I don't have any control, And I can look, victims I think are very good at looking at all of the contributing parts that are going on around them because they're constantly kind of looking for why, why they're in the scenario that they're in because they need to have someone kind of to, to blame a little bit. Victims need to, they need to have, you know, poor me mentality, but they're very good at seeing everything going on around them so that they can make sure that they stay in the victim role. But what you can do now is you can take that ability to see the things around you and start to learn to create your own life and what's going on and take all those contributing factors and harness them and use them to create your own life. So as a victim, you can take that skill set, turn it a few degrees and become a creator. Now, a a persecutor turns into a challenger on the empowerment dynamic. The challenger is focused on learning and growth and holding people accountable while also encouraging the learning and the action. So, again, rather than blame everyone else, right, and focus on everyone else, that's what uh, persecutors do is focus on on everyone else too. We're now going to start to really take that skill set and start to build people up and hold people accountable, right? So... Challengers hold people accountable for their goals, for their visions, for what they say that they're going to do. And they consciously build people up as a positive alternative to putting someone down. So instead of criticizing and blaming or controlling, you're going to start to build people up and you're going to start to hold people accountable for what they say that they will do, yourself included. Now, a rescuer in the empowerment dynamic turns into a coach. So a coach has compassion and asks questions and helps people to see a vision and take an action plan, right? They provide a lot of encouragement. They provide a lot of support, but they don't do it for anyone else. They just provide support and help and encouragement, but they don't actually take responsibility for the outcome of other people's decisions and they help people move forward. So this powerful, this empowerment dynamic, I really like as an alternative, because it helps us see that this skill set that we have learned in the drama triangle can help us if we just turn it a few degrees, if we refocus, if we focus as a creator, as a, a victim, instead of as a victim, if we focus on creating, and as a persecutor, if we focus on challenging Right. In a positive way, building people up, holding them accountable. As a rescuer, if we focus on coaching, on helping people, supporting, encouraging people and not taking responsibility for them. You can find information about the empowerment dynamic. Just Google it. Empowerment dynamic um, or David Emerald is his name. If that's if that's of interest to you, I'll also post a link in the show notes on Podbean. Um, and on the website if you're interested in kind of finding more information. I'm actually going to post a lot of links um, in this episode just to different resources that I've used in pulling together some of this information as well as my own experiences. I hope that this has been helpful for you because one of the ways, for me, I know one of the big things about recovery that I want to be different is the way that I interact with people. And I don't want to be wearing a rescuer like you know, sign on my forehead uh, for people to just kind of take advantage of me all the time. And I don't think you want to be wearing a victim or a persecutor or a rescuer one either, right? So we have to learn to engage differently with other people in recovery. That has been the part of our problem the whole time in addiction. Our intimacy disorder has caused us to relate to people in ways that aren't constructive and that are damaging. And so our whole goal now is to relate to to people in ways that build them and us and that are healthy and can help us all move forward and be happier people. So I hope this has been helpful for you. I know it's been helpful for me to reflect on this and to share this information with you. I hope that wherever you are today, no matter what's going on in your life, you'll remember that you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. And if you don't, just rely on me until you get there. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy.